1: about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons, as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In yesterday's message, we heard a review Of our progress thus far in the book of Revelation by Elder Buddy Abernathy. Today, Brother Buddy continues looking in chapter 4, in particular at the seven spirits of God that are mentioned there. Now, that term seven spirits of God doesn't mean there's more than one Holy Spirit, but rather it refers to the complete work of the single Holy Spirit who is part of the Godhead, the triune Godhead. Brother Buddy has been looking at some of the functions of the Holy Spirit and reviews those a little bit today and begins to talk about another function that the Holy Spirit serves in this world. Join us as we continue this review of Revelation and move on into this study.
0: Revelation chapter four, verse one, after this, that is, here's a view he has after addressing the churches. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter, things that must be hereafter. Here after the church age, which we're still in. And immediately I was in the spirit. That's what happens when you go to heaven. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw Four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So as we begin this first of of six remaining sections each of which give us a different view of what's going on for the most part in the invisible spiritual world.
2: He begins by saying, first look at heaven. (laughs) And here's one of the things
0: that we see in heaven, and this is where we take up from last time. Verse 5. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now we know that God is a triune God, and we'll not go through that again. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So why does he say here that There are seven spirits of God. Well, first of all, remember, this is giving you a... You know, as I read this, you're probably like me. You picture things in your mind. So when I read this, I think of this throne where God sits. And one of the things before the throne are these uh, seven uh, lamps of fire. And he says, I want you to think of those... As the seven spirits of God. I believe the idea here is that the single spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, God's spirit is multifaceted in what he does. And it's been six weeks since we talked about this, but you hopefully remember that we looked at two of those things. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that there are seven functions of the Spirit. The word seven is a, as the number seven in the Bible means complete. You know, the number eight means new beginnings. The word seven means complete or full. So, seeing that this is highly symbolic language, I don't believe we're to take away from that, that there are exactly seven functions of the Spirit, there may be a preacher that has more like than I do that can say, yes, there are exactly seven, but I believe that just means the Spirit
2: is multifaceted. The first two we looked at was the new birth, and the second one was the outpouring
0: of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The new birth is the most basic fundamental operation of the spirit in the life of a child of God. Because prior to that, you're dead in trespasses and sins. You have no perception of spiritual things. Brother Chris and I have often used the analogy that in the same way there are radio waves in this room right now. But you don't pick up on them because you don't have a receiver. In like manner, if you're not born of the Spirit of God, you don't pick up on spiritual things. So obviously someone that is not born of the Spirit doesn't have a desire to be born of the Spirit. They don't receive the things of the Spirit of God. The Bible says they're foolishness to them. But Jesus in in John 3.8 says, here's how the new birth happens.
2: The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not
0: tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. You know, of the several things that verse says, one thing is, if you can find out how one person has been born of the Spirit, you then know how any person that is ever born of the Spirit
2: is born of the Spirit. It's like the wind. And according to Ephesians 2.1, that's
0: when you're made alive spiritually. You hath He quickened. It's not a cooperative work between you and God. You hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you and I would be considered fools if we walked out to the graveyard and tried to talk to these people buried out here and get their attention. They're dead. They don't hear you, they don't see you, they don't care about you, they don't feel. They're dead. And I know we repeat this a lot, but it's so important that if a person's not born of the Spirit, You can't get them interested in spiritual things, and I hope you understand what I mean by this. If you find someone that is concerned about spiritual things, if you find someone that feels like they're a sinner, if you find someone that's so bothered about their sins that they want to be saved, guess what? They're already saved. They wouldn't have that desire. They wouldn't feel that condemnation if the Spirit of God had not blown upon them and made them a new creature in Christ. Sometimes you may go to a funeral and they say, well, you know, that person seemed seemed like the Lord was dealing with them, but they died before they made a decision. (laughs) All that convinces me is they were already born again. I'm so glad when I preach funerals, it's not up to me to figure out whether a person's saved or not. (laughs) I'm so glad that's with the Lord and the Lord saved His people from their sins and He sends His Spirit into their heart crying, Abba, Father. When John Morgan and Meredith's baby was born and that baby cried, nobody said, okay, he wants to live. Let's see if we can give him life. (laughs) No, that's a great evidence he's already alive. You want to hear that newborn cry, you want to know he's alive and well. Now you might need, to, we won't get on that, but a few years down the road you might need to do some training with regard to crying. But when they're born, you want him to cry. Because <laughs> that means he's alive. You see someone that's worried about whether they're, where they're going to spend eternity, you can already be assured they're going to heaven. Because <laughs> they have spiritual life. The second function of the spirit, or a second function of the spirit, is one that many people are confused about. I don't believe in criticizing other denominations from the pulpit, but if we just identify what someone believes without being critical, I believe that's appropriate.
2: There's a reason why There's a religious group called Pentecostals.
0: I've had relatives that were members of that church, and they were good godly people, and one I'm thinking about in particular, I wish I was as committed as she is. So I'm not being critical. All that means, when a church says they're a Pentecostal church, All that means is they believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost is still transpiring. Now what happened on the day of Pentecost? Let's just read that uh, briefly in uh, Acts chapter 2. And we could read other places that this is talked about, but this is the most uh, detailed account of it. Here in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's what that means when it says they spake in other tongues. It would be like this. The only language I know is English. But to speak in tongues would mean that if I was speaking to people and the only language they knew was Spanish, they would understand my preaching in their language. You see, speaking in tongues is not some type of uh, muttering or some type of talk that no one can understand. Furthermore, being filled with the spirit doesn't mean that you do things that are out of order and that make no sense you will not find that in the bible i like what i heard an old preacher say one time he said when you're filled with the spirit you don't go crazy you have good sense for the first time in your life i like that that's that's the truth of the matter you don't go crazy when you're filled with the spirit you think right when you're filled with the Spirit. But the point is this, there were outward obvious manifestations of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost and for a season of time there that authenticated the reality of the truth of Jesus Christ and authenticated that the apostles were real, they were were who they claimed to be, but that's not something that we continue to observe today. And the primary reason why is this.
2: We have the whole Word of God. And Peter recorded years after the day of Pentecost
0: that through His Word, He has given unto us, listen now, He has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That means the Bible contains everything you need to know about how to live
2: life. And that includes how you worship. As a matter of fact, and we'll not turn to this, But Paul taught to the Corinthian church that it's much more mature to seek after
0: hearing the Word of God expounded than to look for some kind of outward sign or manifestation of the Spirit. People say, oh, I believe in worshiping God from the heart. I do too. But have you ever heard someone say the way, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach? You ever heard that? The way to a man's heart is through his mind. Think about it. If you come to understand that you're saved by grace and you're able to get rid of that burden of thinking you've got to earn salvation. It's a result of what you th- it's a result of your thoughts that are now different from what they were formerly that give you peace in your inner man. And that's what the heart is, the most core of who you are as a person.
2: You know, if the news came to me that one of my children had been killed in a car wreck, but they actually had misidentified the victim would I be any more sorrowful
0: because they got it wrong though I didn't when I didn't know it was wrong no I'd sorrow the same in spite of it being incorrect information our faults and what we think is true determine how we feel about things now you can stir up some trouble in the church, can't you? If you go around telling people things that somebody else said that they really didn't say. Because they're going to think they said that. Now, here's, here's another uh, function of the Spirit. And this, this is I'll just conclude with this one and look at just a few verses. Another thing the Spirit does is it calls men to
2: preach. The Spirit doesn't do that on every child of God.
0: God decides who is going to be called to preach. The preacher doesn't decide. As a matter of fact, when I see a man that wants to advertise that he's called to preach, I question whether he is. Because if you're truly called of God, and the Lord has really dealt with you, you don't do this thing with ambition. You do it hesitantly. You, you, you probably are going to resist it, but hopefully you won't be like Jonah and resist it to the point that you go in the opposite direction. You know what happened to Jonah when he did the opposite of what the Lord said. But let's first of all notice how God called Jeremiah to preach.
2: In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. The Lord says, before I formed thee in the belly I knew thee. And before
0: thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now the first part of that applies to all of us. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. But the balance of it doesn't apply to all of us. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I set you apart and ordained thee. That is, I determined you would be a prophet. But then notice one of the first things the Lord said to Jeremiah. But the Lord uh, first of all look at Jeremiah's reaction. Thus said I, Ah oh Lord God, behold I cannot speak, but I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not I am a child, for thou shalt go. Thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. The reason the Lord said don't be afraid of their faces is because their faces are going to manifest that they do not want to hear what you have to say. Matter of fact, the Lord told Jeremiah in advance, they are not going to hear you, but go anyway. Amen. I'm glad the Lord didn't tell me everything. <laughs> And his ministry spanned 40 years, and from the world's eye, they would say it was unsuccessful. But a minister has one requirement. It is is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, and that means faithful to God, faithful to represent his word, no matter what the consequences are.
2: Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee I am with
0: thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Jeremiah six sixteen. The Lord speaks through Jeremiah. We'll see how much he enjoyed being a preacher as far as the people were concerned. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Now, to show you that Jeremiah was a man just like we are, notice what happened in his attitude in Jeremiah chapter 20. Let's begin with verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Now listen to this. Then I said, I will not make mention of him Nor speak any more in his name. I felt like that before. But again, the Lord did not ask me if I wanted to be a preacher. I know what it's like to be afraid of their faces. The first church I served, there was a lady in the congregation that never looked at me. The whole time she looked down like this. Of course, I found out she didn't like what I was preaching. But at least, you know, she wasn't making a mean face. She just looked down and made it known she was not interested in what I was saying. That's why the Lord said, "Be not afraid of their faces." but Jeremiah got discouraged. You see, he didn't have any success as far as the people were concerned. And so he became discouraged and said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But notice what it says next. Jeremiah says, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. It wore Jeremiah out trying to quit preaching. That's what it says. He says, his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary. It wore me out to try to stop preaching. It's a lot better to preach than to not preach if you're called
2: to preach. I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. I've heard preachers make this comment before. If you think you may be called to preach and you can quit preaching and it doesn't bother you, then quit. But if it bothers you, I understand a man can harden himself
0: like Jonah did and end up in the whale's belly, which he called the belly of hell. You can go through hell on earth if you just harden yourself against God, whether you're a preacher or not. But a man that's truly called of God, he cannot quit
1: and be happy. (laughs)